Attention retail solution providers. Rethink Retail is looking for the next generation of retail technology. By participating in our next-gen retail tech program, you'll put your solutions in front of the eyes of thousands of retailers, while also gaining industry recognition and a spot to compete for the title of hottest tech of the year. So if you're ready to be next, be sure to check out the link in the show notes of this episode, or you can email us directly at media at rethink.industries. Good luck and may the best in tech win. Welcome to Rethink Retail, the show where we dive into the stories and strategies behind some of the most successful brands on the planet. From brick-and-mortar giants to e-commerce disruptors, we uncover the secrets to their success and deliver the keys to true retail transformation. So ask yourself, are you ready to rethink retail? The future of retail starts now. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Rethink Retail podcast. I'm your host, Gabriella Bach, and today I'm speaking with my guest, Hind Sebti. Hind is the co-founder and chief growth officer at Waldencast PLC, a multi-brand beauty and wellness platform focused on developing, acquiring, accelerating, and scaling conscious and purpose-driven brands. Waldencast portfolio includes Obaji skincare and milk makeup, as well as Wind, a cruelty-free luxury skincare brand that Hind herself founded in 2020. Prior to founding Waldencast, Hind held various marketing and general management positions at a couple of companies you might have heard of them before, L'Oreal and Procter & Gamble. And she's the first Arab and Moroccan female co-founder of a NASDAQ-listed company. Hind, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Gabriella. Absolutely, and it's so great to have you here. Because, gosh, you have just such a storied career working with these just huge established brands, as well as launching brands of your own. But before we get there, I'd love to learn just a little bit more about you, Hind. So if we could just kind of zoom out a little bit here. I know you grew up in Morocco, and I would just kind of love to hear a little bit about your backstory growing up in Morocco and how that kind of just really shaped your love for beauty. Sure. So uh, I was born and raised in Morocco. Uh, I was there until I was 17 and my family still lives there today. After when I was in Morocco, I went to French school. And after that, I went to France. When I went to engineering school, I studied to become an industrial engineer. And after that, I joined, I joined Procter & Gamble. And, uh, and after that, L'Oréal. So I spent my 20 years career between the two companies working in beauty. But the, yeah, the, uh, the, at the heart of, uh, of my career was a very early on passion for beauty. When you, uh, you know, being raised in Morocco, it's a country of beauty, right? In the landscape, the architecture, the food, and also the beauty rituals. And we talk a lot about how beauty has the magic to um, make ordinary things extraordinary. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. So always had, you know, I'm a dreamer. So that always appealed quite a lot to me. When I went to, I did engineering school for the simple reason that I was studying sciences and I thought that was what I, what I loved. But when, uh, but I always knew that I wanted to do beauty and work in the beauty industry. 
So with my engineering degree uh, in hand, I started Procter & Gamble because it was, uh, you know, it's an amazing company. Of It's a school, right? We talk often about Procter & Gamble as being a school, no state for marketing. I joined as, as a, in supply chain at the very beginning. And I focused on working my way into moving to the marketing department and working in beauty. Amazing. So you mentioned that you were studying engineering and you had gotten into supply chain and, you know, supply chain, engineering, logistics and the beauty industry are almost kind of opposites of of one another, one would think. So what really inspired you then to like make that transition from engineering into retail and specifically the beauty space? I think when you are, you know, in high school, the older concepts of jobs sometimes are very, uh, are very, uh, you know, are very abstract. Sure. I was in a French system. I was good at maths and physics and and I wanted to, so I was like, okay, so what do you do with that? You become an engineer. And then I was also, I also like a challenge and people were like, but there's not that many women engineers. I'm like, okay, so I want to do that. Why wouldn't I do that? And then as I started studying and I actually, I graduated as an engineer, I thought, well, this is what I like studying. What is this what I like doing? Mm-hmm. So I'm grateful for engineering school and sciences overall to have shaped the way I think in a very rational, logic problem-solving way, but I thought, but I want to apply it to an industry I love, an industry that has, that is not just head, it's head and heart. And for me, that was beauty. So, um, and the story of the transition is a story that is very dear to me, to my, because it's shaped my whole career, because I started in, in supply chain, like I mentioned, and I was lucky to be um, part of, um, in France at Procter & Gamble, when we were starting to accelerate the beauty portfolio that we had in the country. So we were working within a big organization as a very, you know, um, as a very nimble beauty team. And I was working closely with brand marketeers and product marketeers. And this is what I realized, oh, I love what they're doing. And I think I'm actually quite good. I could be quite good at what they're doing. But again, it was like in my early 20s, but in, you know, PNG, it's very siloed in terms of functions, right? You don't move from supply chain to marketing. It's completely different. And everybody was like, this is, you cannot ask. It's never, it's never going to be possible. And, and I remember I read this magazine. It was, I was on holiday and it was the courage issue. And there was this quote that said, only those who dare to go too far can see how far they can go. And I came back on my holiday and I was like, I'm just going to ask, what's the worst that's going to happen? They're going to tell me no. And I asked the, the, the lady who was my marketing director at the time. And to my amazing surprise and delight, as soon as I asked her, she said, you know what? I was thinking exactly the same. You belong in more in brand than marketing. And she helped me make that move. And the, uh, and the rest is history. I been in brand building, beauty brand building for the last 20 years, uh, thanks to this inflection point. That's an amazing story. And Hind, I just, I absolutely love that quote you shared with us. Only those who dare to go too far can see how far they go. And it's also pretty evident that you had a leader who also believed in you and could see how far you could go within marketing as well um, as you made that transition. 
which is it's so monumentally imperative that we have leaders that, you know, are investing in their employees and just seeing the value of their potential. Yeah. So I'd love to hear more now about Waldencast as well as Wind, you know, this brand that you launched in 2020. So can we kind of hear the story behind the launch of Waldencast, the launch of Wind, the brand? And, you know, what are what are some of the unique aspects or values that both of these companies are bringing to the market? After 20 years, um, I think my last role, I was at L'Oréal. I was general manager for Maybelline and Essie here in the UK. So doing makeup, having lots of fun, comfortable in my job. And I think it just had two things that happened. One was, um, you know, you look forward and you're like, yes, of course, I'm happy now. It's fun. and It's easy. But what am I going to do for the next 20 years? You know, uh, and and which, you know, for me, that was a time when I asked that question. And at the same time, when I was looking at the beauty industry, I was fascinated by the indie, you know, indie brands beauty phenomenon. We're looking at all these new brands that were, um, you know, now more than ever, they were empowered to be created, that were consumer-centric, authentic, through founder story, going after true, um, you know, consumer attention. And flourishing. And on one hand, I was thinking, oh my God, I wish I could build something like that. Um, I worked so far on other people's brands. I would love to create something completely unshackled, driven by some of the insights that I gathered, you know, in the, the last 20 years or so in beauty. And the second one was also a desire to help these brands scale because we see so many beautiful, you know, young indie brands, but very few of them you know, scale to, to become $100 million brands. And I was almost like had these two nuggets of insight about like there is a need to play and, you know, grow indie brands in a different way or scale them in a more sustainable way, but also want to create, you know, one from scratch. And I started and wind was the, was the dream that made me change everything because I, I thought I want to create like a new beauty point of view. It's not about, I think a lot of people ask when you say you create a beauty brand, why create a new, new there's, a, there's thousands of new beauty brands every day. And they always say, no, these are not beauty brands. These are collections of products. These two things are completely different, right? Um, and my personal insight was I worked on all the beauty categories in my career, but I always loved skincare. And I started to be frustrated a little bit by the, you know, how skincare become, you know, a bit colder. It was all about efficacy at the expense of experience. It was, um, you know, an imaginative formulas, the same packaging, very minimalistic. And I thought me and a lot of consumers like me, we want the performance and the product that work, but we also want the sensoriality and the experience and the delights that you get because skincare is also part of self-care. So this started with a product need, but it became much bigger than that because as I digged deeper into how I want this social experience to be, I realized that I was being inspired for the first time in my career by my own origins, right? I was, you know, designing formulas and packaging and people would say, this looks like a Moroccan brand. I was like, oh, why? And then I was like, it's because I am Moroccan. So I'm bringing that, you know, those rituals, this slow beauty, this indulgence, this, and this glow that we're like obsessed with in Morocco. And I thought when I look at the global beauty, you know, global beauty brands and skincare, 
there was no brand that this that did this. And I thought I want to bring a different point of view of beauty, one that is warm, positive, all about glow and indulgence that is very native to Morocco, but that could be attractive and um, and interesting for the world. So this, you know, need from a, both a product and a brand point of view is what um, made me do it. Yeah, I love that you brought up the ritual of self-care and, you know, really taking the time to invest in yourself and in quality ingredients that will make you feel good, make you smell good, and just overall add to that experience, right? And, okay, so I, I do have to ask because I actually lived in the Middle East for quite mm-hmm. some time growing up, and it wasn't in Morocco, it was in the Gulf, but I had a, a friend, and she was Moroccan, and she actually, she sat in front of me at school, and she always smelled so good. Ah, good. It's been 17 years, but I can just still remember like it was yesterday. She always smelled so good. <laughs> so can you share with us and what are some of the key aromas and the key ingredients that you incorporate in your products that make them quintessentially Moroccan? So I think when it comes to beauty and ingredients, there is two things. One, in Morocco, they, like when we... To talk about beauty, we talk about lights and about a glow that is inside and out. So skin that is radiant, but also people that are happy, right? And they talk about it as the beauty of the golden hour. You know, when you're on holiday and you have a bit of sun, everybody looks gorgeous in that, in that perfect setting of relaxed, happy with a bit of glow. And part of the things that makes Moroccan beauty happy and indulgence is that the ingredient we use are very sensorial. So on one hand, we have the oils, so argan oil, prickly pear oil that are known for their, I mean, superpowers in terms of skincare, but very indulgent, you know, that really nourish the skin without being heavy or clogging. So that's, you know, from a texture. And we have the waters, rose water, orange blossom water that we use for cleansing, toning, refreshing the skin because we live in a, Morocco is a, is a, is a, is a hot country. And me, I use for the most of my life, actually, I use orange, pure orange blossom water that is made in Morocco as a toner, you know, in my cleansing routine. So the inspiration behind one of the franchises we have on Wind, which is Oasis, the Oasis franchise is all about freshness, hydration, and brightening is about orange blossom because I'm trying to recreate the sensoriality, the smell of that ingredient, as well as its, um, as its um, potency, but we marry it with more, I would say, more modern ingredients such as, um, you know, hyaluronic acid, uh, you know, um, niacinamides, ceramides, and all these kind of things. So when I look at the signature of wind and Moroccan beauty is a bit of the same Many people will tell me in Morocco or in the Middle East, oh, it reminds me of, you know, of something that they have smelled before in their own beauty rituals, but reinvented because I wanted it to be much more potent than what our grandmothers used to, uh, to use. Amazing. I've been transported back 17 years and um, you've, you've created just a lovely picture for us here. And I think we can all just almost smell those orange blossoms coming through our speakers. 
So thank you for that. And, um, you know, I, I wanted to ask, taking it back to those early days when you were first launching your your brand. So you founded Walden Cast and in your beauty brand win, both kind of at the same time. So was your intention from the start to invest in new brands alongside wind? So uh, it just happened by chance. When I, the trigger for me to go and do something entrepreneurial was the desire to bring wind to the world. I'm like, I think the world deserves or needs a brand like wind that to sit um, next to all the other brands. And as I was leaving one of the, or deciding to leave, I thought maybe I should check this kind of idea with somebody I trust. And I spoke to Michel Brousset, who used to be boss at L'Oréal in the UK and then was the boss of L'Oréal Consumer Division for North America. I told him, I think I'm going to do something crazy. I'm just going to leave all of this and go and start my own brand. I thought he was going to tell me off. But what he said was, actually, I think it's a brilliant idea. And there is definitely a need for a brand like Wind. But you know what? I am thinking of doing something similar, but it's not about one brand. It's about many brands. And it's about creating Walden Gas, which is about, you know, becoming the global best-in-class beauty and wellness platform that is the home of all these indie brands. Either we create them, like Wind, or invest in them, like CareWise, a brand in our portfolio, or we acquire them, like Milk uh, Makeup and Obagi Skincare. So that was the vision from the beginning. But obviously, Weldoncast started four years ago, so we had to do it like a step, um, step by step. And I think there is the there has never been a better time for creating beauty brands, right? Because yes, the competition is fierce, but you have when you have a true point of view, bringing a new conversation or something different, you have thanks to, you know, uh, th- thanks to the whole manufacturing environment when anybody can. You know, you don't have to have a factory. You just have to know the right labs and so on to develop the right product because of digital, because of social. You can actually create something and make it accessible for, from both a marketing point of view and retailing to consumers. So that's why we see so many. It doesn't make it easy. You still have to do the work in terms of how does the brand resonate with con- what is the right consumer, what is the right channel. And, um, and I think it's down to finding your audience as with every business, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And can you tell us a little bit more about, you know, what is your vision for Waldencast? What are you looking for? And, and how do you begin to identify which brands are aligned with your vision and who to invest in? So um, when we look at, uh, when we're in, within what we have, Waldencast Ventures, where we invest and we have, Separately, Wellencast PLC, where we are listed company on the NASDAQ, where we acquire brands. We're more in an acquisition mode. But we're looking for things that are brands that have the same, um, the same um, footprint. First, we're looking for brands with a capital B, not trends, not things that are, you know, piggybacking on something that is hot right now. We always look for a brand that have a right to exist in 100 years. So have that sustainability in them. Second is brands that are really purpose-driven and bringing something specific and unique to the market and have high growth potential. We marry that with the values of the brand, which are values of Wellingcast, how important sustainability is, inclusivity, transparency. And we play exclusively in beauty and wellness because our thesis is we work where we know, you know, 
we only um so we can make a difference right so this is a bit of the and i think within the welding cast plc with milk makeup and obaji skincare it's a really a great illustration of the type of brands we're looking at acquiring uh obaji skincare is the crown jewel of the physician dispense channel in the us it plays in high performance skincare recommended by doctors and would really 35 years of transformative skincare results with a community that love them and a leader in inclusion, in inclusivity with a program called Skinclusion, where Obaji was the first brand that tested on the six, on the, on the full spectrum of skin tones and they continue to do that. So when we look at Obaji, we look at its strong brand positioning, strong proposition, and we see the potential of growing it further in the US and also internationally making it more accessible to even more consumers. The other brand is Milk Makeup, and Milk Makeup similarly sits in the highly attractive clean makeup market, and it's a cult brand amongst Gen Z. And it's a brand that is has been uh, only available at Sephora for now, and in the US uh, with a for small uh, international footprint. So we look at it and we say, all the like, great markets, great brand, great product, so much to do in terms of product development because it doesn't play in all the makeup categories and so much to do from an international retail expansion. So, and both of them values, again, in terms of inclusivity, sustainability, and um, they really marry with what we want to do at Wallencast. Absolutely. And, you know, with these iconic brands like Milk Makeup, for example, you know, you mentioned how it's, it's a Gen Z favorite. And specifically with certain products like the Hydrogrip, for example, you know, it's a millennial favorite, a Gen Z favorite. We see beauty influencers using it all over TikTok. And because of that, in, you know, the recent year or two, there have been launches of, of similar products by other brands. I won't name who, but, you know, they're being kind of billed as, as, as a dupe. So... I wanted to hear from you, how do you maintain customer loyalty and communicate the uniqueness and the value of your original products, um, you know, especially when faced with, with competition that, well, is, you know, very well marketed to resemble your offerings? I think when we look about beauty, I think we always say products are extremely important. But in the long run, they're not that important because, you know, they are here to establish your brand, your positioning, and sometimes product superiority. But at the end of the day, it's the brand. People, you know, get emotionally connected to the brand and they, and they can see the difference. I think in a lot of, when you create a brand with a cult following that wants to, that understands that what you do as a brand, what are your values, how you develop, how you how you market, how you, how you behave in the world, that is really the, um, one of the most important values that makes brands succeed over time is the brand equity more than, you know, the uh, trend-led, you know, whatever it could be, um, you know, competitors that try to replicate the same because there's always an original. I think a brand like Milk, when it's launched a few years ago, we have never seen any brand like that, right? It was the first to really show different people, like next level inclusivity, original, original packaging and formulation. 
And, you know, the game is to also stay ahead of the game. You know, you've been there first. So you're always building your brand and building your portfolio. And you don't really focus too much on um, anyone who's following. I think it's a, it's a great compliment to, to be in, in this situation. Imitation is the finest form of flattery, right? So, yeah, I love that stance because, yeah, you guys do have a loyal cult following and, and there always will be challengers to that when you see what's working. And, you know, Milk kind of set the trend for uh, a new type of primer. So, yeah, I definitely love that answer. And speaking of trends, what are some of the big trends that you are seeing among indie beauty brands? I think, I mean, I think for me, to kind of start with inclusivity, we just, it's just the beginning of that journey, right? Of what we mean by inclusivity. When I look at our brands, we have an Obagi that tests on all skin types. We have milk that embraces all kinds of beauties and encourages them to to, ex to live their look. We have wind, which for me is also a different point of view on inclusivity, which is not having different skin tones within a brand, but bringing brands from other parts of the world. I'm looking forward to the day we're going to go in store and see, oh, this is a brand from Indonesia. This is a brand from Morocco. This is a brand from Brazil. That is true inclusivity, right? Because it's representation. And I think we'll see more and more of that because we've seen the, the rise of ideolytic brands. Uh, so, you know, it's the next um, almost generation of what inclusivity or more representation actually in this case mean. I think um, what we see are the, the kind of the common trends and it's, and I'm going to talk more about like values is the people are more and more buying into a brand and what it stands for. We see from any research, for example, with Gen Z, sustainability and inclusivity and some kind of personal values are core to trying a product. It's, no, it's not just about I'm going to buy the best cleanser. I'm going to buy the best cleanser that you know, fits with, with, with my values. And when it comes to people have, there was a lot of conversation of how you know, the skincare trend, skincare was having a great moment over the last, uh, over the last years, uh, you know, powered by, you know, the new skin intellectual consumers looking at our ingredients. And we had COVID, what made everybody look for science-led. But for me, what is fascinating is we see two things growing at the same time, the need for science and high potency and the need for grounding and rituals, you know? Because people also understood that within skincare, there is self-care. And that is one of the trends, I think, this, this blurring of wellness, self-care, skincare, body care. Like the, you know, there's no, categories will no longer be as clearly, uh, you know, before it was you were a body care, you were a makeup brand, you were a skincare brand and so on. And I can see it firsthand on Wind. When we launched Wind, it was a skincare brand. Uh, but very quickly, consumers who got that universe they were like, can I get body care? Can I get, can I get candles? Can I get fragrances? And that's why we just recently launched fragrances over the last couple of weeks. And it's been fantastic because our consumer were like, if you're painting me this golden world of Morocco, this transportive universe, I want to smell it and I want to smell it, you know, closely. So it was a natural step. And it was, you know, within two years of the brand launching, we have a skincare and a fragrance that sit next to each other. And for our community, it's completely normal because it's part of a much bigger ritual and a much bigger brand experience. So that I think is very exciting because it's a holistic approach to beauty. Amazing. And congratulations on the fragrance launch. 
That's incredible. I know I'm going to need some of those smells in my house ASAP. But yeah, just really taking it back to the beginning of our conversation of these rituals that we bring into our everyday life and, you know, skincare and beauty, like it doesn't have to be looked at as a task or a chore. It really can be a just self-nourishing part of the everyday. And brands that understand that are really going to be able to appeal to the emotional complexity of their consumers. And and you've just you've clearly got just such incredible intuition and foresight into the industry. And is there any advice that you'd like to give to new indie brands that are trying to emerge into the market? I think the most important thing is to always, you know, when we design a brand, we design it for a specific consumer target. So identify your consumer, your audience, know where they are from both a retail, like where do they shop, but also where do you, are they available, where they want to be spoken to. And that becomes the heart of, uh, of your strategy, right? Because you can have an amazing brand, amazing product. If you're not talking to your target audience in the right way, at the right time, in the right place, it's not going to convert. And more and more, I think when it comes to indie brand, we have this whole wave of indie brand that were born in DTC and quite successful. I think the world has changed quite a lot since then because of the cost of playing, uh, you know, in marketing when it comes to social and so on. And sometimes the, the right route is retail. Sometimes it's both, you know. Uh, for example, when um, an example that I can talk about, which is wind, when we launched it originally, we launched it in DTC only because it was during COVID. And I wanted to see which are the geographies that react the most positively to the brand before we, we uh, expand in brick and mortar because it's expensive to go to stores, right, from an inventory point of view. So this is where we launched in the Middle East, UK, US, and the Middle East was the region that were very quickly. People loved it and got it and say, can I have it in store? So we went into department stores there and now we're rolling into other, you know, other geographies where we had like the US and UK where we had like a strong traction. But it was about understanding who is our consumer, who are they and how can we reach them with the right message and in the right platform. So it's about never losing sight. It's not about doing what somebody else has done because the playbook changes by brand and having you know, we always, I always say, do what's right for the consumer and the rest will follow. That has been my advice when Maurice to say for the, uh, it's actually Michelle, my co-founder of Olegasso Partner, who said that the first time, so I'm stealing it from him. He said, do what's right for the consumer and the rest follows. It was true in our corporate life and it's true in, uh, for indie brands as well. Well, I think that is a great note to leave it on. Do what is right for the consumer and the rest will follow. Hind, thank you so much for joining the show today. It's, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure getting to chat with you. Thank you so much, Gabriela. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Rethink Retail podcast. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode. And if you're interested in being a guest on the show, apply at rethink.industries slash podcast guest. That's rethink.industries slash podcast guest. Follow us on Twitter at Rethink underscore Retail and show some love by subscribing on iTunes podcast app. Until next time.